The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hello and welcome to the Stockhead Explorers podcast. Today we're delighted to have Australian Vanadium's Managing Director Vincent Algar in to talk us uh, through what's happening at the company. Welcome to the podcast, Vincent. Hi, Peter. Vincent, um, a lot of people when they think of Australian Vanadium think about the Gabonintha Vanadium Titanium and Iron uh, project up around uh, Murchison, which is sort of 175 million tonnes of pretty high-grade material for a vanadium deposit at 0.77% V205 in amongst a whole bunch of uh, magnetite and uh, titanium uh, mineralisation. But the company is looking at going in a different direction. Perhaps you can just tell us about recent work that the company's been doing uh, to commercialise the vanadium in a different way than just uh, selling it to uh, steel mills. Yeah, Peter, look, a lot of our focus uh, is obviously on the development of the project, and that's our core objective. Without without the project being in existence, we're not going to be a, a player in the vanadium space. But as you've noted, um, the project's coming along, and we've we've actually recently bumped that 175 up to 200 million at 0.7 and uh, added added a quite a significant amount of uh, indicated material to our existing indicated resource base giving us uh, potential for even a longer life than we put forward in the in the pre-feasibility study. So uh, just a quick upside correction on what you said, but that just makes the project a lot stronger in terms of the quality of the resource. So um, there's applications for vanadium in two specific areas. One is in chemicals and one is in, um, in steel applications, and each of those are broken down into two separate areas. There's, the main steel market is, is construction steel, uh, the driving market there is the Chinese rebar market. But then you have specialized steels, in particular specialized metal alloys. Uh, they're considered strategic um, in the sense that they're used for um, aerospace applications mainly, um, rotor blades, inside jets, nose cones, landing gear, um, and specialized tools. So those are very important markets, and they, they come to play in strategic metals, uh, of which vanadium is one. Uh, that's a word we'll hear a lot more post, uh, post-COVID post virus time. But then the other applications are in chemicals. So the current largest application for vanadium in chemicals is as a catalyst, um, often in the, in the production of acid. But um, most recently, and this is something that the AVL has been very interested in, is the development of the, the vanadium redox flow battery market, Now, uh, which, are, which are, is what you're alluding to. Um, the flow battery was a, is an invention of a Australian professor, Professor Maria Skylas Kazakis, in the 80s, and it uses vanadium to store energy uh, from an external source. So it's ideal for the development of um, renewable energy storage applications, something that we'll see a lot of in the next five to 10 years as that application market grows significantly. And vanadium is, is a perfect, turns out vanadium redox flow batteries are perfect for this particular application. And they also have a huge impact 
potential on the vanadium market itself. Yes, so uh, uh, Vincent, the uh, vanadium pentoxide, which is used uh, solution, which is used in this uh, application, uh, is finding there's already development of this technology, which you say, which you rightly say, is a Australian invention. Uh, it's now being commercialised in some places in China and elsewhere, and the storage. Uh, battery market. People often think about um, batteries for electric vehicles and so forth, but really the storage application has, it's a sort of missing link in the whole renewable energy sector because you've got weather dependent power generation from wind or, or the sun. But at, up until now, we haven't really had sufficient storage for that power to, to put it back when the wind's not blowing or when the sun's not shining. And so big applications for really uh, utility-scale uh, uh, power storage uh, using vanadium redox batteries. Yeah, I think, Peter, you highlight an important point is that energy storage is, is migrating from our phones into our houses, into our cars and then into our houses and, and our factories and then eventually onto our grid. And the, the default has been to take our lithium-ion technology across that barrier. Now, um, it turns out that taking that, that technology across is not necessarily achieving the objective that we need because we continue to have the degradation of lithium-ion batteries even in the larger scale, and the cost of that, well, that degradation and replacement will eventually have its way out in the market. But the upfront cost of lithium-ion batteries is cheap in small and large capacities. But what, what lithium-ion batteries are good at is that they're good at punching out lots of energy in the short space of time. Yeah, they're the sprinters and the, the redox, the flow batteries are the, the sort of marathon runners. Correct. And then when it comes to storage, uh, storage of, of um, multiple hours, the long duration battery, which is really what everyone thinks about when they think about a battery. If you think of the standard definition of a battery in, in your mind and my mind and a five-year-old's mind is he wants to know that there's a battery in his in his power toy that stays there for many, many hours and many days. He doesn't want to know that there's a battery in there that's going to be run down in, in 10 minutes' time, right? So that's not the point of it. So vanadium flow batteries offer the opportunity to really they hit their sweet spot in a number of ways after you move beyond three or four hours of storage. And when it comes to storing large amounts of renewable energy, this is really important because it means we can really store, store the sun when it shines and play it back when the sun isn't shining. We can store the wind when it blows and we can play it back when, when the wind isn't blowing. And then we can also have a big pool of that resource that we can share across the grid, across the farm, across the factory, across the household where you've got a large repository for multiple hours. And that, that is really where the differentiator comes in. That's right. It's also uh, good not only uh, for time-shifting uh, power generation uh, but also for stiffening the grid where, you know, you've got uh, sometimes, uh, you know, a low power demand and all of a sudden a big power surge and unless you've got something that can rapidly move in and stiffen up the grid, you get oscillations on the grid and blackouts and so forth. Exactly. And I think one of we've probably also found is that uh, with with our Australian grid being very strung out or very spread across the, the network with lots of poles and wires that go into lot into faraway places, that management of the grid stability is really a critical thing. And having um, large storage nodes that are that are renewably supported um, out on the far ends of our network is actually a, 
going to be a very good thing. So we we believe that that is a the Australian market is perfect for that. And where people uh, no longer need to be on the grid, then and but their need is a four to six or eight hour requirement or even more, then these are the, going to be the systems that are in there. And, and network operators also will start to be comfortable with them as they get deployed more widely, more widely globally at this network level because they can do something that battery makers uh, try to sell their batteries on, which is called benefit stacking. It's, it's, it's a word basically that says, I can do more than one thing with this battery rather than just provide backup. So I can provide frequency and ancillary services to a network as well as providing backup power to my clients. That's right, Vincent. With uh, we had Ray Wills on the uh, podcast a couple of months ago, talking about smart grids, and we were talking about how Horizon Power is already uh, looking at some of their more remote uh, customers and saying, "Well, it's costing us, say, two million dollars a year to keep the poles and wire going, but we're only getting twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars a year in revenue from those customers. We'd be better off." Uh, basically dismantling the poles and wire and setting up a specialist grid with um, photovoltaics and uh, batteries and maybe a backup uh, generator for, you know, the unusual circumstances when we don't have enough energy coming into the microgrid. And that's actually a lot cheaper than keeping those poles and wire uh, in good shape. Absolutely. And, and again, on, even on that, on that um, small, on that basis of, of building those those microgrid side, the scalability of of flow and its ability to to really hit its economic sweet spot in multiple in multiples of hours, where um, you in a lithium ion sense you have to degrade the output capacity of the batteries, so you end up putting more battery units in and running them at their suboptimal levels. Whereas the flow battery, you can really optimal start to run it at an optimal level at any scale that you select. Yeah, the flow batteries don't lose their capacity over time. They continue. You put 10 megawatts hours in and you get 10 megawatt hours back out of it again. So that's uh, no degradation there. And I think um, so. what we've seen is that uh, there are growing applications for this. Perhaps you can run us through some of the projects that you're aware of now using the uh, Vanadium Redox technology. So overseas, we see a lot of um, a lot of applications in, in in a wide range of sectors, and um, so most of those have been in small commercial and agricultural sectors. Sorry about that. Um, small commercial and agricultural sectors are have been the place that uh, farms, um, dairies overseas. A lot of the a lot of the European implica- applications have been around that area, and um, we've also seen them obviously where they started up, like most. Technologies, they have applications in research where people are, are, are trying to prove these things up. So a lot, of, a lot of the batteries in Europe in particular have been in, in small, medium-scale um, applications. But what we've also seen is um, a lot of remote applications. So um, a company called CellCube did most of its, uh, a lot of its work on islands. And um, the most recent, in fact, the most recent installation has been in, in an island in Queensland by a company called UET. Uh, where they've put a flow battery onto an island um, in North Queensland, and that is actually running the island's power power requirement um, entirely. So um, the commercial, industrial, agricultural has been the largest so far. There have been um, installations where um, an island's, uh, island's hotel resorts and applications in that sense, remote communities, have also been used quite a lot. 
Um, telecoms, some of the companies have, have been in remote telecoms towers uh, where these things are very far removed. In fact, um, one of the examples was the South African cell tower uh, by a company called Schmidt, and they had a, they'd powered the cell tower completely through a flow battery and some solar, so the battery didn't need a backup um, to keep itself running. And Vincent, I thought there was some larger technology, some larger projects going into South Korea and in China as well. Oh yeah, so these are these are sort of modest scale ones that I've been mentioning. On the utility level, there's been a 60 megawatt hour system running in Japan in Hokkaido, implemented by the large Japanese company Sumitomo um, for the last five to six years, I think even longer than that. Uh, stand corrected, but it might even be as long as 10 years. But uh, the Japanese adopted the technology after working with uh, Professor Skalas Kazakis early in the piece. They've developed the technology extremely well at the very large scale, at the utility scale. And um, that that battery, in addition to some large batteries in Europe at the megawatt scale, have been implemented um, for the purposes of, of really supporting the grid and testing the the limits of of, uh, of of the size and scale of these batteries. But I think if you look at the work that Sumitomo have done, that's quite significant. In China, we're seeing a lot of very large batteries starting to be built. And in fact, the largest one in the world is um, an 800 megawatt hour system that's being built um, in China right now. It's taken a bit longer to get to get to get finished because of the um, the bump in the vanadium price a few years ago. It slowed them down somewhat. Um, hadn't secured the vanadium they needed at the right price earlier than starting the battery, but that is a significant 200 megawatt, 800 megawatt hour battery, all vanadium. Um, it's very exciting for us, for us. How much vanadium is used is needed for a megawatt of storage? So that that works out to be just just under a year of production from our from our new mine would 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 require that. So if one battery, we basically be able to produce vanadium for one year. So to give you a rough metric there, Peter, we've got one gigawatt hour, um, takes nearly 10,000 tonnes of high purity vanadium pentoxide. Now, uh, AVL is looking to produce around that number of tonnes of high purity. So give or take that 800 megawatt hour battery would use up just about one year's production from our mine. So if you think about it in real terms, if we were to load, if there were five gigawatt batteries uh, we'd have five years of production fully sold into into just five batteries, which would then run for 20 years and be be very sustainable applications and energy storage in energy yeah. storage and uh, make a big difference to the world. So um, remember, this is also has a, uh, a carbon footprint impact because you really are starting to utilize your renewables to a very high degree in your application. That's right, and the uh, the usage so a gigawatt for the listener it's a thousand megawatts so it's a very substantial amount of power storage. But what you're saying is that in five years you could supply five thousand megawatts of storage, which is a lot of storage. Uh, the the uh, vanadium price is not hugely visible to the man on the street. Can you just tell us where the price has been over the last five years? And I mean, it's largely uh, driven by the the, as you were talking about earlier, the use of vanadium in specialist steels. But where's the price now, and where do you, what's the general outlook for the uh, for the commodity going forward? 
So the Vanadium price is a is a fickle thing um, because the market is quite small and it's very, very tightly constrained in terms of supply and demand around the world. And given that 90% of that consumption is in steel and, and uh, a large portion of the production is from China itself, 60% of the world's production of Vanadium is from slag products in China. So it's, it turns out that the Vanadium market is very tight. Um, so it, it, is, it is subject to... Uh, shocks, in which case either there's a supply shock or a demand shock, and it can therefore fluctuate quite quite highly. But what it has exhibited over many, many years um, is that it has um, almost a bipolar distribution. It has, two, it has a higher zone and a lower zone in its, in its pricing. So what we see over, overall over the last 14 years, we see a price of around $8.60, $8.80 per pound which is the, the, the nomenclature we use per pound unit, US dollar pound per pound. Now, when you take that um, and you break it down a little bit more, you find that there's a peak, um, an average around $6 a pound, $6 or $7, which is where the, the price spends most of its time. And then there's a couple of periods where the price is around $12 or $13 a pound, and that's when the, the market is in an imbalanced state. So while the market is in a balanced state, the vanadium price is actually really conducive to both steel producers and vanadium battery producers. It's only when it's out of out of its market, out of its um, out of balance, that it creates a problem. So, in the long term, taking a long term view, um, I think there's more than enough opportunity for flow battery companies to buy and and implement affordable vanadium, um, and they just have to work out a method of of overcoming the peaks in the market that they have and, and there's an opportunity around that as well a very significant one so for vincent for you for um for avl uh the challenge would be to get the project up and running uh, we've already found out that the the really the, the the mineral deposit is not going to be limited by resources it's a very large deposit uh but what you need is the, is the cash. I mean, you're in a in the happy position of having about four and a half million dollars worth of cash as we go into this slump, the COVID nineteen slump. But that's going to stand you in very good stead as you go forward. But would you be looking for a a offtake partner to come in and potentially uh, help fund or put their balance sheet behind the development of the project, or how do you think that would work? No, look, absolutely. I think the biggest challenge the problem ha- the project has. It, technically, we feel very comfortable not only with our resource but also with our innovation around the development of the project uh, processing side. We've made some very good inroads there, so we're very confident and comfortable around the resource. What we we're also conf- com- comfortable and confident on is that we can produce, we can get the operating cost here in Western Australia to a very um, competitive world level with the other producers. Um, of vanadium um, in Brazil and South Africa. So that's with those two confident things out the way, we then have to uh, face the real hurdle, which is which is achieving um, uh, getting oh, getting the, the funds in, and and that that'll then take place through not only through identifying uh, partners, investment partners, offtake partners, or both. Uh, some some might be the same people, some might be different people. So, but we we've started well, and we've we've working with. Um, uh, we've we've signed a letter of intent with the third largest vanadium producer in the world, Hebei, uh, a derivative of Hebei uh, Steel in in um, Chengdu, and we'll be working on turning that into into an off-day agreement um, as the, as they come back to work and as we come back to work here in Australia. So 
be very confident in our relationship with those people. Um, they they are likely potential investors at the project level as well um, to secure their long-term supply. Their, the Chinese market is quite limited in its ability to flex um, production because it's tied so much to steel production. Um, so we 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 are going on, on a good track with the Chinese side. On the European and North American side, we we have already got working with leads in that side, and then um, that's on the offtake. On the investment side, our natural investors are people who are already involved in vanadium. Um, that's the first place to start. But then we've also got um, the commercial banks who uh, in Europe and North America who and the UK who look at vanadium as a critical commodity, which it is. So taking the, the metal hat or the steel, high, high, the high-end steel application hat, that makes vanadium a, a critical metal. There is no vanadium production in North America or Europe. Um, so that makes them vulnerable. So, Vincent, um, just for the avoidance of doubt, is the project going, has the ability to start up to produce a concentrate? I, I didn't think so. You, I thought you would probably be roasting and leaching and using hydrometallurgy to produce a vanadium pentoxide product and sell that. Is that the way you go or, or, or not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we take it all the way through to high purity. Um, the product, the project produces a, will produce a high purity relatively so a relatively high purity product um, as a base, um, which is in the in the ninety in the ninety um, ninety nine percent range. But is there a price premium? High. Is there a price premium yeah. for that product? Yeah, yeah there, there appears to be ten or fifteen percent price premium in China for that product. Um, we think that that may be quite variable depending on the application and the demand. What we do know is uh, from experience is that in the aerospace sector there is quite a significant premium which may be well over 20 percent uh, for a longer term contract within within that within that space so quite a good target market to work with so vincent that's uh, been a fantastic tour de force i'm sure there's a lot more information and uh, our subscribers can go through the stockhead website to see more about the company um, but I'm sure that we'll uh, be talking again over the next uh, six months or so as the project develops and uh, a very exciting project, I think, because of its connection into renewable energy and a, a sort of a multi, also a multi-product um, project as well. And I think although we, we call this the Explorers podcast, I think it's fair enough to say that Australian vanadium is more of a developers uh podcast maybe we should have the stockhead developers podcast <laughs> but <laughs> great investors like that investors like to know that their their resource projects will become development projects i think yeah. there's a there's always a difficult period in between those two things as you know peter but i think just i think there, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for growth for job creation and um, value addition as we come out of this crisis and uh, being ready for that is where we feel we want to be uh, and we're acting and, and moving in the right direction to make that happen. On that note, Vincent, thank you very much for coming in today and talking to us, and we'll look forward to watching the company as it develops over the next six to 12 months. Excellent. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having us on. <laughs>